0: Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 6 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I'm Ryan Wolt, and this is the show where I bring you the stories of coffee professionals, entrepreneurship, and coffee education. Today, we're getting coffee smarter with returning coffee expert Ryan Sullivan. He is the director of coffee operations at Moster Coffee Company. And I recently spotted him out in the wild at Coffee Fest L.A., which is a combination of coffee education sessions, many geared at those looking to open their own cafe or advance their own coffee skills, as well as a vendor expo, which is where I spent most of my time, checking out some new coffee innovations, like the barista robot arm and the rolling robot waiter. To all my fellow baristas and servers in the world, trust me, your jobs are safe for now. I also got a chance to hang out with the team from Hosea Coffee, meet some cool new industry friends, and even watch a portion of the Latte Art Championships. Shout out to Nicholas Tanaka of Blending Coffee Club for taking first place. I'll post a few photos from Coffee Fest on roastwestcoast.com, some of which you may have already seen if you already follow me at roastwestcoast on Instagram. After the expo, I stopped by The Last Bookstore, which is a truly great bookstore in downtown LA that has become Instagram famous in recent years for its unique artwork displays and epic book tunnel. And you're not going to believe this, but they also have books there. If you stop by, don't hesitate to ask for the novella I wrote, Eli and Jane, or the follow-up novel, Future Eli and Future Jane. They won't have it, but if enough people ask, maybe they'll carry it in the future. Anyways, back to coffee. Today I ask Mr. Sullivan what are some common mistakes that are made by new roasters and new roasting companies. He shares some advice and hopes that anyone out there listening... Dreaming about their future roasting coffee or opening their own cafe can avoid at least a few pitfalls on their way to success. I'm drinking a coffee today, specifically an Aeropress-brewed Moster Ghost Bear blend, in a green mug with my own face on it. What are you drinking? Is it in your favorite coffee mug? If so, I want to see it. Tag me in a photo while you're listening to this Coffee Smarter episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast featuring Ryan Sullivan. Director of Coffee Operations at Moster Coffee Company in San Diego. Well, I uh, I appreciate you coming back uh, on the show. I know you're really busy. Moster's really busy your whole team, I imagine. You've got an anniversary coming up at Bankers Hill. You've got your overall Mosterland event, anniversary event coming up. What on earth made you think that you wanted to do a podcast for 45 minutes today?
1: Uh, it's good to take a break every once in a while too, you know, and just chat about all things coffee with fellow coffee people. So <laughs> it's, a, it's it's a it's a welcome break, yeah.
0: I feel honored to be considered in that category. Uh, and I have a very big question for you today. Uh, but before I ask it, I'm wondering what it is you've been drinking lately and if anything has stood out to you that you want to shout out on the show.
1: As in coffee from Mostra, are we going back to whiskey and bourbon?
0: Sure, let's go coffee with Mostra to start.
1: <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, we actually just, um, so every year we, we try to bring back the coffees that we submitted for our 2020 micro roaster of the year win and we just cupped some samples uh early or i should say late last week early this week uh, of of the ethiopian coffee that we submitted and it it was fire it's probably the best um, that that's tasted in the past few years so that was great to try again but i think as great as that coffee was it was Probably a little bit overshadowed by these Kenyan coffees that we we just bought, so I'm pretty pretty stoked. I think they're probably some of the best Kenyan coffees that I've cupped uh, in recent memory for sure.
0: When you say you you bring them back, you're essentially saying you're bringing back coffee from the same kind of farm, same place, uh, same source. But it's not like it's the same coffee because the weather's been different. The shipping has been different timing is all different is your goal to try to match it to what you guys did in 2020 when you won that award, or is the goal to just get a great coffee that is its own thing, but essentially a, a, a callback, a nod to, you know, that success.
1: Yeah. I, th- I think the latter to, to what you said, it's, it's great to have the the callback. We're, we're never expecting a coffee to taste like it did last year because that's just not how agricultural products like coffee work, you know, and even if the green was really similar, like maybe we've, we've done something different with our roast profiles or, you know, any, anything in, in that realm, you know, can really have some of those like chain reaction effects. So for us, yeah, just great coffees. And I think one of those, things as like a coffee buyer that you at least look forward to is when you find those great cooperatives or, or farms or, or groups or, or whatever it is that you're, you're working with um, to buy coffee through that consistently year over year, they are producing a great product. And so like, we're just like, Hey, like, let's see what, you know, what 2022 has to offer. And yeah, we're never able to do that super fair comparison of like, okay, well, the 2020 was the best we've ever had, but we couldn't compare 2020 coffee to 2021 or 2022 because it would get faded or aged and wouldn't wouldn't be a great comparison. But from what I remember, uh, these these are some pretty pretty stellar new crop coffees.
0: It's an interesting thing that Moster does. Uh, with some of your core coffees, you brand the coffee itself, like Space Ghost, I think is the right name for the coffee you using your Bear. espresso. Space Bear, excuse me. Uh, yeah. Space Ghost was a cartoon. Apologies.
1: So we have we have Space Bear and we have Ghost Bear. So Space Ghost Bear. Bear is an is a iteration of Ghost Bear, which is our staple espresso.
0: Got it. Okay. So, but by doing that, you're branding that coffee that people are ordering or buying through multiple batches. And so as a customer, if it all of a sudden is changing, tasting different one, you know, when I come in, how aware do you think customers are that that really is potentially a different coffee? It could have been, you know, maybe they came in in the fall and they came back in the spring or whatever it was do you think that impacts how people feel about you or do you think your customers are aware enough to understand that coffee is a changing product? Cause I don't know that I understood that for at least several years after starting to drink craft coffee.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would definitely say people can always be more aware, you know, including myself and, and Nick and on our entire team. Like it is hard when you, are expecting one product and you end up with something a little bit different. And, you know, especially if you're remembering, you know, even just the same coffee, right? Like I said, this Ethiopian coffee, like, okay, like last year was great. You know, is this year better? Maybe, maybe not. I think with, well, it it depends. I think with certain blends, Ghost Bear being one of them, it's a pretty versatile profile that we're aiming for. So uh, we do carry um, a couple of the components uh, all year round. Um, It's probably two or three of the only coffees that we carry all year round. Um, And so we just have to buy enough of them to last us. uh, And generally speaking, those, those coffees do carry very, very, very similar flavor profiles and attributes consistently It's, you know, it's those, those seasonal components that like, okay, we're not going to have a Guatemalan coffee all year round. We're not going to have this Colombian coffee all year round, or this, uh, this Ethiopian coffee. So I think what we, we really try to do with, with ghost bear and a couple blends in particular is, is we're, we're aiming for, for general roast profiles and cup profiles. Through that we're able to manipulate ratios. So like how much, of this coffee is in the blends at this point in the year versus a different point in the year. Um, And then through roast manipulation, we're able to pretty closely match that. I would say it would be hard to distinguish in like our staple blends like Ghost Bear and like just our our house blends. Um, It would be hard to distinguish one seasonal iteration of Ghost Bear from another um, cause I feel like we're, we're pretty, pretty dialed in to making those adjustments. Other coffees though, we, I think, well, at least in our like online descriptions and, and the, the verbiage that we give to the staff, like we try to be very forthcoming with like, Hey, like just to start off this year's version, right. Or, you know, this iteration of, um, to just preface like, okay, whatever you bought in the past, this is not the same as that so just trying to again preface like before you get into this coffee take the expectations that you you had from you know if you had it before maybe it's similar you know and we would probably say that in the description um or like hey this is totally different
0: i as a coffee drinker that it feels to me like a good reminder to be more present while i'm drinking my coffee and less uh, predicating my experience on expectation, uh, which is something that I do regularly, especially at home where I often buy the same coffee kind of consistently. And I, I feel like I know that coffee. Uh, I did that this morning, actually, and is one of the reasons I'm asking these questions where I had been gone all summer. I went and bought a bag of coffee this week, brewed it up the same way I always do. And I took a sip and went, oh, w- what's going on here? This is not mm. what I was thinking I was getting and it wasn't bad or anything, but it definitely kind of threw me for a second. And then I was like, oh, no, it's been like at least three months since I've, you know, bought a bag of this coffee. Things have changed. I need to remember that uh, as a customer. What you just said about how you guys are pretty dialed in with the seasonal changes in, in this coffee, uh, Ghost Bear. does Is it harder to roast to a profile when you're starting? Like that? that coffee already has an expectation built into it because it's been around for a while your customers already are understand it or know it or regularly get drinks with it. Is that more difficult, uh, to, to purchase and to order to, or does that actually help by giving you a framework, uh, a a goal that you're trying to meet instead of just trying to get to this mythical, the best the coffee can offer.
1: Yeah. Uh, again, I think the latter there being that like, we know, certain coffees with certain profiles work really well. Um, and we know that those coffees are available in whatever seasons and, you know, type, uh, months of the year. So, um, we're looking for coffees that exhibit, you know, these things when we're trying to source those seasonal components of, of the blends that we're, we're looking for. So if anything, it it really narrows it down where it's like, okay, well, we can just eliminate, you know, all of these coffees. Like they don't even meet the minimum criteria, right. Whether it's uh, actual like cupping score quality or even origin characteristics, you know, we're not putting in, in our staple blends. We're not putting, you know, weirdly, you know, unique processed coffees we're putting like very typical coffees that, are representative typically representative of the country um, or region that they're from so if it's an ethiopia yurga chef we're looking for like what are your standard ethiopia yurga chef type coffees that those are the ones we're looking for anything that kind of falls outside of that realm whether it's like an anaerobic process or or, or whatever it might be we're like okay cool that coffee might be great on its own but it's not going to work for this
0: sure yeah that idea of blending is it seems like simultaneously like a fun, creative way to work with coffee, but also, also I think more challenging than someone might expect. If anyone is at home right now and they have a couple of bags of random coffee, try throwing it together and do a into your grinder and making it and seeing if you enjoy what comes out. Because I would I would venture that it takes quite a bit of practice uh, and repetition to find that blend that is consistently good for you.
1: Yeah, I think even like you, you were saying too, like it's been a few months since you'd purchased that coffee, but we were just doing some exercises, um, preparing for uh, the golden bean competition that's happening this weekend. And some of our staff were pulling shots for us and we were debating between you know some fresh coffees and some older coffees, uh, a fresh roasted versus older roasted coffees that had had time to degas which for espresso and I think one of our uh, team members had grabbed a bag and started pulling shots and it was the grind size was just like completely different than all of the other coffees we had been using and then I looked at the bag and I was like oh this coffee's you know two days off of roast and they were like so and I was like well go grab the you know older bag of, of that same coffee and pull a shot And they were like wow like you know five days can make like you know this massive difference so if you're going in to brew a cup of coffee and you're like, Oh, I do it like this all the time. You know, really it's you're you should be, or could be making tweaks to that coffee when it's fresh versus, you know, a week off or two weeks or three weeks off. And then those are all going to change your, the flavors that you're getting in, in your, in your cup.
0: And that is exactly why I don't make express espressos at home. And I just Same. go buy them yep. because in the, I'm not thinking that intelligently in the morning. <laughs> just just making coffee.
1: Yeah, no, I, I refuse to make espresso.
0: Yeah, I, I'm not doing it at home anymore. Um, we're trying to. Which all leads me into the topic that I asked you to think about for today, which is new roasters. Uh, what are some common mistakes that new roasters make? And how can they learn from your experience from other roasters experience and maybe speed up that uh that time where they're regularly making mistakes is that a fair question to ask i feel like it's pretty broad
1: yeah it is it's fair but it is broad and definitely my own personal experiences and opinions might not line up with someone else's but i think speaking as like uh, from a green buying perspective for for new roasters and, and a little bit from just like roasting philosophy i think a couple of the big the big things Or or maybe key, key things to to be aware of is, you know, don't, don't try to be bigger than you are, meaning that, like, you come across a great coffee. And, you know, you're thinking, okay, well, we're growing, you know, quickly, we can probably go through, you know, X amount of uh, bags, which are 60 kilogram to 70 kilogram bags of this coffee, you know, once this, you know, next cafe opens or we get a couple extra customers on the door and and we I've definitely been been guilty of this mistake. But but yeah, overbuying coffees is a really common mistake. And especially as a as a new roaster or really any small business like cash flow is is king. So being really aware, because once you contract those coffees, I mean, they are they are yours and they don't taste good forever. So if you can't move (laughs) through them quickly enough, then you're putting yourself in a really tough spot. Uh, and, and then you're, you know, you're trying to offload that to your customers and, you know, you're not putting that best foot forward of like, we're trying to show you, you know, as you come through our doors or, or, you know, buy our bags online that like, you know, we serve you great coffee, but you're trying to offload, you know, older coffee that, that has, faded notes and and things like that. I think that's definitely um, a really big thing to watch out for.
0: What about um, somebody who's kind of really getting started and it's their first time using a larger scale roaster, like larger than sample roasting? What are some hiccups that they might hit in that process? And I should uh, preface that by saying, in I'm not a roaster, so I'm. this is a little bit uh, based on just what I've learned from talking to other people. But... Uh, Sample roasting, say, in small one-pound batches. I mean, I can go on Amazon and buy a sample roaster right now, but it seems like there's a pretty big jump from that to even a five-pound machine or 10-pound or machine that is more for commercial
1: use. Yeah, I mean, I can't speak too much to, like, the actual roasting philosophy. I would say that really, I mean, a couple just really important things cup everything that you roast and and cup it blindly because you just never know what you're gonna learn when you don't know what you're tasting. Uh, it just puts all that bias aside and uh, and enables you to more clearly see the coffee that you know your customers will be getting and better able to analyze the roast that you did of of that coffee. And then much like espresso, I think, or really any coffee brewing, the, the same applies for roasting, which I would say is is manipulate the least amount of variables possible. So there's always a chain reaction, especially in roasting. So like you want to do a longer roast that's going to stretch out all of your different phases of roast and, and it's going to change some of those things. But like if you want to experiment with charge temperature, then keep as to, as the best of your ability, keep the other things the same. So keep your, you know, rough duration of time, the same, keep your finish temperature, the same, keep your development ratio, the same so that you can really see the effect of that charge temperature or discharge temperature or development percentages or anything like that.
0: Uh, Could you define that term charge temperature just for anyone who maybe doesn't know what that means?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's the temperature at which you load or drop the green coffee into the roaster, whether it's a drum roaster or air roaster.
0: Right, so you're preheating that just like you would bake in a cake yep. in the oven.
1: Uh, correct. The
0: charge temperature is, is where that coffee is. And the coffee isn't necessarily preheated, it's at the temperature that it was at stored at, essentially,
1: yes, right? Yes, correct. Yep, so yeah, preheating your oven to 400 versus 425 versus 435 and you're baking a cake in that oven, it's all going to lead to different results.
0: That actually is, uh, I mean, it's, this was when I was chatting with uh, your your colleague, Nick Bilberardi and he had mentioned that at the roaster competition, they're using these roasters that he hadn't necessarily worked on before, or even your own. That really, to me, spoke to the ability to be flexible and to adapt in the moment because even I know that I have a bunch of recipes at home I like to bake, but the oven I have right now is not great. <laughs> it's uh, It came with the apartment, and uh, it has not been replaced in many, many years. So I know that if my recipe says 350, I actually need to cha- adjust that to 365 or 375 in order yep. to have the same timeline, or I have to adapt the timeline more. And I would imagine as roasters... Uh, you're dealing with a lot of that as your machines get use and your machines adapt there. Um, I guess I kind of think of the machinery as a living entity to some extent. Um, and maybe that's just a, a romantic side of me. But, uh, you know, I'm just wondering if you if you would agree with that or if that's maybe just me projecting.
1: No, I mean, I think that's definitely spot on, you know, 350 in your oven might be 360 or 362 or you know, something like that in someone else's oven, you know, and then you have, you know, to make it more complicated, it, like if you cook on a stove, it's like, you know, the actual heat output of the stove, right? High isn't just high on a burner. It's like, what's the actual like, you know, like butane, you know, like how much like literal heat is being displaced by, by the, the stove top. So roasters have the same thing. Every roaster is different you know, where the heat is applied, what the drum, you know, is made out of, or the thickness of the drum versus like, do you have a, you know, kind of not very deep, but taller drum, or do you have a deep drum, but it's a little bit shorter in height, you know, all of those things can can definitely affect what you're doing. And I think that's just repetition. That's really just getting in touch with your equipment.
0: So many variables. Earlier, you had had spoken a little bit about um, blind tasting. I'm wondering if you could explain to uh, me how you would go about setting up a blind tasting for yourself, especially because I would imagine, at least in the beginning, a lot of people are working alone or they're learning on their own, right? So how would you go about setting that up for yourself if you had several coffees to try?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think it really only works if you have several coffees because if you, all you roasted was Brazil yesterday, then you know that that's all that's on the table. So few coffees uh, definitely helps to cup with other people's coffees, whether they're similar or dissimilar to the coffee that you are cupping. But basically, so like what we do is we, we take uh, measured amounts. So for example, like we typically cup uh, at least two or three bowls of every coffee that we roast and we do 12 grams of coffee per bowl. So we just weigh out, let's say, 40 grams of coffee uh, after each batch is, is roasted, and then it goes into a cup with a number on the bottom. And then if you're trying to be blind, when you're when you go to set up your cupping, basically, you can just mix those cups up so they're not in numerical order, but you have the sequence that you roasted. So if you roasted let's say 10 coffees, you know, one through 10, but they're jumbled up on the table, you know, two, five, eight, nine, one, et cetera. Then you cup each coffee and then you can go back after, you know, you're at basically a cool temperature and look at your notes and go, okay, well, uh, you know, you start to lift up the cups and you go, okay, I roasted, you know, again, Brazil first, and then I roasted Colombia second. And then, you know, this is my fifth batch or or, uh, so on and so forth, basically.
0: Yeah, I think like uh, the way my brain works, I would have a hard time mixing them up without trying to remember where I'm at on my own. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. if you're if you're listening and this is something you're doing, maybe find a you you enlist a neighbor or friend to mix them up for you.
1: Yeah, that can that can definitely help. Uh, having someone else do more of like a double blind, where like you mix it up and then they mix it up further. Uh, I'm always skeptical that someone might accidentally mix my reference cup with my actual cups and then i essentially did a cupping and i can't ever figure out what cups uh went where so i'm not as um, not able to as easily evaluate um, you can also do things like to get like really intense you could cup in different kinds of lighting so like f- like a red light for example like you can't see the differences in the beans quite as easily. So like, you're not, as e- you're not as easily able to distinguish uh, one coffee from another. So as you're mixing them up, you don't like kind of remember like, oh, okay, I think my, my Ethiopian coffee looks like this, um, you know, and my coffee from Panama looks like this. Uh, I'm not saying that I do that on a regular basis by any means, but uh, if you want no to judgment. be really, really intense, then <laughs> you, could, you could do that.
0: That's a kind of a cool uh, idea. I hadn't even thought about that another way to kind of trick yourself,
1: uh, into figuring that out. Yeah. Black, black bowls work really well too. So you can't see the color of the coffee. So, um, you can't really discern between a light roast or a dark roast.
0: Really interesting. Let's get back ahead to, to that point where you're a new roaster and you're working for a a company. Obviously you did that. You came in, um, uh to most and and you were in coffee before but how do uh how do you go about setting up those first profiles i would imagine there's a lot of learning from the people who've come before you in that you're going okay this is what a profile looks like but when you're kind of first starting out uh with a with a new green coffee what is it that you're doing to get to that point where you feel like you have a profile
1: that works yeah I think you can go into a roast if you've ever put coffee in your roaster before, you can go into it and you know, okay, well it takes about this long roughly for my coffee to turn brown, right? To where it's drinkable. And then I can go a little bit longer and it's dark, right? So you kind of get your generic times and stuff figured out. And then I think really like, I, I had a pretty good conversation with, um, with Scott Rao about this, and I think the comparison that we, we both agreed on and, and liked a lot was like Moneyball. So really your your main goal is get on base. So just start, just start there. Like the coffee, you know, might look a little bit, you know, weird, like, and just using references like from that movie, for example, right? Like someone throws weird, he, you know, isn't isn't picked to be on the team because they don't like the way he throws, or, or you know, he doesn't traditionally do this, so we're not going to put him on the team. But you get a bunch of a bunch of people together that consistently hit and get on base. You all of a sudden can build yourself a team kind of around, around that. So, a little bit back to you know el- eliminating as many variables as possible, but really just like trying to almost oversimplify charge all of your coffees at whatever temperature, let's say 415 degrees, just to throw out a number, you know, and then you're gonna roast all of your coffees for, let's say roughly 10 minutes, and you're gonna drop them all roughly at this temperature. And then you're gonna cup those coffees and you're gonna be like, okay, based on tasting that, like, this is too dark, it's too light, it's whatever. And then you can kind of start to go backwards a little bit and, and make those manipulations. But like, when you start, like, we have a very, very simple roaster at, at Mostra. Like we have a 25 pound San Franciscan, really incredibly old. We don't have any kind of like airflow adjustments or drum speed adjustments. So like we pretty much put the coffee in and it's hot and then it gets, hotter or colder <laughs> like that's really what we got to work with so like you can roast great coffee with not that many um tools available but it, it goes back to again really eliminating a lot of those components that like you might read about in a forum or you know read about in a book and like you just don't know enough so uh make those changes and actually know what effects those are having so just throw all that out the window put the coffee in let us it do its thing take it out cup and then kind of work backwards and make adjustments and stuff from there.
0: With those the, that simple machinery and the limitations that you might have compared to a newer, fancier, very tech heavy roaster, for example, as the green buyer, do you feel more pressure to make sure you're getting a product that needs less uh, manipulation? Or do you feel pressure uh, on you as a person in your job role because of that, or is does that uh, I don't want to say help you cover up, or does uh, if you were to, to buy a coffee that didn't turn out so great? But you, how does that impact your job as the green buyer? That's probably a safer way to say that.
1: Yeah, I think um, so. This is where, like, again, I may be a little bit uh, outside of the the typical realm of thought here, but like, like I personally feel like green buying is incredibly, incredibly important. So if we're ever like iffy on a coffee, it's like, why buy it? Like, oh, it may go this way. It may go this way. Okay, cool. Just throw that out. We don't, we don't want that. Um, In a way it helps because I try to only buy great coffees. But what I, what I look at is like as great as a roaster, you know, um uh Nick might be or, or anyone else might be on our team. You can't take a bad product and perform like this magical act during the roasting process and make it taste fantastic all of a sudden. You have to start with a great product and then you can make it a little bit worse or you can make it a little bit better. <laughs> but you're operating in, in this very narrow, you know, uh realm where it's like, okay, I didn't quite nail it, but Luckily, my green coffee was still fantastic. Therefore, my coffee still tastes pretty good, but I know I can do better. And um, I think a good example of that is the number one coffee from the Panama Geisha auction a few years ago. Uh, A lot of roasters submitted that coffee to Coffee Review and same coffee, right? All from different roasters. Most of the roasters got like, I think a 97 point Score on that coffee, and then I think Dragonfly scored a 98. And if you read the review from Coffee Review, they're like, We've cupped this coffee from you know all these other roasters, but something about like this roast just was that little extra bit better. And they're, I think, at the time, I don't know if they still are, but they were the only ones to ever get a 98 on Coffee Review. So
0: I don't want to cast uh dispersions or doubt, but You know, maybe the reviewer had a really good donut that
1: that morning. Yeah, absolutely. That could totally be it. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Let's talk about something much more important uh, today than coffee, which is uh, what's the best whiskey you've had since the last time I spoke to you earlier this year?
1: Oof. Um...
0: (laughs) And I should tell you that while I was traveling, I brought back one bottle of whiskey for every week that I was gone. Okay. And not all of them made it back.
1: Okay. I don't try new whiskeys too often. I don't know if you if you can see over here. This is some of my oh boy of my whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> um, some
0: of your some of your whiskey. I like it's that. It's
1: actually unfortunate. Oh, maybe fortunately for me, a uh, very small um, uh, amount of it. But I just really love. Like, I think I mentioned this last time. Like I really love uh, Wild Turkey products. So Russell's Reserve 13 is a Wild Turkey product. The second batch of it just came out, and last year's batch was was great and was able to get a bottle of, of the second batch, so that's probably probably the the new one for me.
0: <laughs> Would you call yourself a collector uh or are you drinking all these coffees or these whiskeys?
1: Uh, yeah, yes and no <laughs> <laughs> definitely collect you know they say they say. That you should be a little bit liquid in your assets, and my assets just happen to be liquid. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I mean, I think I, I personally like—I don't buy anything that like I wouldn't drink because I, I a lot of a lot of bourbon collectors or really any any collectors do buy things that like they can't ever or wouldn't ever you know enjoy. I think like my thing is like, look, if everything, you know, went really poorly and the bourbon market crashed and no one liked bourbon anymore, except for me, like I would drink every bottle that I have and I would, I would really enjoy it. And then if one day, you know, I, I look up the value of a bottle and it's, it's worth more than it is worth for me to drink then, then great. But I'm not counting on that.
0: Sure. My only warning would be that, uh, in the the early to mid 1990s, I was a big baseball card collector, and uh, that was my retirement plan as a mm-hmm. as a teen, uh, yeah. or a, a young a young man, and it has not worked out quite the way I anticipated.
1: <laughs> yeah, you got to wait for those those swings, right? Like Pokemon cards had a big swing, and you could probably retire off of of a select few Pokemon cards if you happen to have them.
0: Uh, I'm sure there's always a select few. Um, Unfortunately for me, I can't drink the baseball cards that I still have. Yeah, uh, and, definitely. And yeah. you can. Uh, Ryan, <laughs> I I greatly just appreciate your time. Um, I know you have a pretty uh, busy fall schedule coming up at Mostra. Is there anything that I missed today where I should have asked about what's going on at Mostra that you wanted to, to share?
1: Yeah, I mean, Mostra land's a, a really big party that we throw. I think kind of just like an homage to everything we do as a company. So it's a lot of beer from, you know, collaborations that we've done that year, uh, great coffee, a little bit of um, entertainment, also just, you know, just a big group of people and just getting to hang out and, and meet or see, you know, new friends, old friends. That's really really the big the big thing we have coming up, other than new coffees, which I alluded to earlier. So, yeah, we're just we're just plugging away. Maybe a regional competition to see if we can get into the national round again for 2023, but yeah, TBD.
0: Well, we'll keep an eye out for those Kenyans. Uh do you have to make appointments to talk to Nick now that he's back from the world championships or Yeah,
1: it's kind of annoying actually. Yeah, it's like a <laughs> secretary and, you know, they got to vet you. Yeah, no. <laughs> no.
0: Well, I appreciate you being here. Uh, Thank you for coming back this season. And I'm looking forward to Mosterland. I'm planning on being there. And uh, uh, for anyone listening, make sure we link to that. Thanks, Ryan. Cool. Thank you. Okay, to recap. I'm going to say this first so I don't forget. Mosterland. Moster Coffee's 8th Annual Anniversary Bonanza is coming up in October. Tickets go on sale September 10th on MosterCoffee.com, which is just a few days away. The best way to make sure you know exactly when they drop, because tickets are limited, is to either subscribe to one of their coffee subscription programs on MosterCoffee.com or follow them on Instagram and Facebook at MosterCoffee. Mosterland is not your average cafe anniversary. It is an epic event. Early on in this episode, we talked about roasting a blend to reach a specific, consistent flavor profile. I continually have to remind myself that when I buy a cup or a bag of coffee that I think I know, that coffee isn't really the same, just because the name on the bag hasn't changed. The way it tastes will change based on the batch, the weather during the growing process, how it was stored, and then how it got brewed. Coffee is ever, ever evolving and it takes a lot of skill to create a blend that meets the criteria of consistency season after season. Roasters that are shooting for a target flavor profile can help minimize the changes in their search for consistency by accounting for the flavor of the green coffee beans and by adjusting controllable roast variables, things like time and temperature. Some of Ryan's lessons for new roasters include Don't try to be bigger than you are. Avoid overbuying green coffee. Cup everything that you roast, and cup it blindly if you can. Be flexible in order to adapt to variables in the coffee that you may not expect. And finally, focus on quality when buying green coffee beans. Because you can't take a bad base product and make it fantastic. You can only make it a little bit better, or a lot worse. We did stumble across one new coffee vocabulary term today. Charge temperature. It is the temperature at which you drop green beans into the roaster drum. It's kind of like pre-baking your oven. Moster Coffee has three locations around San Diego, and I'm going to link to those maps on roastwestcoast.com. And don't forget to keep an eye on mostercoffee.com for those Kenya coffee releases Ryan mentioned. I checked this morning, and they weren't quite out yet. A big thank you to Mr. Sullivan for spending time getting me coffee smarter, and to Moster Coffee for being one of the original industry partners of this podcast. They did not hesitate when I asked if they'd want to team up to help grow the craft coffee community. And they are also growing. They're hiring baristas for all of their locations. You can send resumes to careers at com. This show's other industry partners also include Café La Terre, whose operator, Alden Hazuri, is my next Coffee Smarter expert. And, of course, Steady State Coffee Roasting, Coffee Cycle Roasting, Ignite Coffee Company, First Light Whiskey, Morea Coffee, Ascend Coffee Roasters, Cape Horn Coffee Importers, and Camp Coffee Company. Shout out to Joe Bettinger of Maria Coffee. Thanks for joining me for a beer this week. I am very stoked that Maria is on the precipice of some big new things, things that I hope I get to break on a future episode of this podcast. If you are listening to this show and you want more coffee content, head to roastwestcoast.com, sign up for the free or the paid newsletters, and be awesome. Thank you all for listening and for supporting this show. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this episode has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through another day. Always tip your baristas and be sure to drink good coffee. For those of you who heard about the job at Mostra and thought, oh, yeah, I'm interested in that, Mostra Coffee is a woman, minority, veteran, and immigrant-owned micro-coffee roaster based in San Diego, California. They believe a quality cup of coffee brings people together, and that excellence served with a smile will inspire goodness in your day. They eagerly embrace sustainability and cherish their responsibility to create opportunities which improve lives and families across the globe. They're driven by innovation, by pushing the boundaries of what's possible, in coffee, beer, and creativity. Because the best performances offer the best of life. They currently have part-time barista positions open at all locations. Barista or specialty coffee experience is preferred and lead or supervisory experience is a plus. If you are interested, please send your resume to careersatmostharcoffee.com today.